Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. In this podcast, a lovely chat with Roger Edwards, who's all about getting a simple message out there in your talks and about building a portfolio of stories that work that you can go back to again and again. We also talk about blogging and the power of blogging to help market you as a speaker. So join us as we get started. Roger, welcome to the Fireside with Box Gig podcast. Uh, I'm really delighted to have you on today. Richard, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this Fireside chat. Awesome. Well, let's start with one of your catchphrases. You do this thing where you get the audience to stand up and say, the cat sat on the mat, (laughs) which is very brave for a start. What on earth is going on there? Well, um, one of my business mantras has always been keeping things simple. I like to encourage people to keep things simple in my consultancy work. And the cat on the mat is a story that I use and and I tell at Comte. And I remember putting this segment together and I was saying to my wife, do you know, I've really cracked this idea of demonstrating to people the folly of complexity. And it's all about a cat sitting on a mat. Now, my wife loved it straight away because we have a cat and she often (laughs) sits on a mat as well. So she said, yeah, this is great. This is great. But I knew that the only way it would work was if the audience interacted with me. And it goes something like this. The whole idea is to say to the audience, I want you to imagine that you are working for a startup business. And this startup business is remarkably simple. We've got one product and it's easy to sell and it's easy to convince customers to buy it. And the company is called the Cat Mat Company. And this is your first day in the office and pretend this is your induction course. And I'm going to teach you the strap line of this company. And actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it up on the screen and I'm going to only put it up on the screen for five seconds. I guarantee that everybody in the audience will be able to learn it and shout it back to me okay. after five seconds. So up it goes on the screen and, and the strap line is your cat sat on our mat. And then I blank the screen off, make a big deal of it and say, okay, everybody, I want you to shout it out to me after I count you down. Three, two, one. And the first time I did it, there was that moment of terror when I thought, what happens if you all just look back and stare at me? But absolutely joyously, 250 people shouted back, your cat sat on our mat. And I immediately said, that wasn't loud enough. Do it again. And they did it louder, which which was great. And then the, the talk progresses and I sort of demonstrate what happens as companies develop and get more successful. And the second version is, well, we started to get a little bit more complicated. So we flip 
the strap line round and make it a passive sentence so it becomes our mat was sat on by your cat which doesn't sound as good it mm. sounds a bit clunky but the audience can still shout that back because it's not that different and then i progressively add gobbledygook and jargon and, and rubbish and uh corporate management speak into about two more iterations of that strap line until the final version is just a screen full of nothing and but gobbledygook and jargon. But I still stand out on the screen and say, I want you to read it back to me. Three, two, one. And of course, everybody just titters because there's yeah. no way they can remember that entire page of rubbish. And that has become such a powerful way of getting people to understand my complexity is bad. And you're speaking to um, marketing professionals who should know this stuff backwards, right? Absolutely right. And what I have found actually is that I do quite a lot of work with corporates. Um, I do more co corporate speaking engagements, I guess, than I do conference speaking engagements. And more and more people are asking for the cat on the mat speech because they love the way that it demonstrates to them the absolute power of, of um, simplicity. And it's not just marketing people now, it, it's across all sorts of industries. Um, although it's usually um, prompted by a marketing person to, to get me in to do the talk. You're onto a winner there. And it isn't that the case that professional comedians refine their material and then they get the same, same jokes again and again for a year yeah. Yeah. when they do their season. Yeah. I speak to some speakers and they're sort of afraid of giving the same talk twice. But I remember one of our guests recently told me that the great thing about giving the same talk multiple times is you get better at it. Absolutely. It becomes a better talk. Exactly. And, and you know, the first time I did this, and obviously I was absolutely delighted that the audience participated and I may never have done it again if they hadn't done. But you're right. The next time it was a little bit more polished. Maybe the timing made it a little bit funnier. And you're right. I think when you put so much time into creating a talk or, or any sort of content, I guess, you have this perception in your mind that after a little while, everybody's fed up with hearing it. But the reality is the vast majority of people haven't heard it and probably never will. And the likelihood is if you go into another meeting room full of people or conference hall full of people, there may be a couple in the audience who've seen you do it before. But I would think the vast majority will have never seen it and they'll still be engaged by it. I was over in Ireland, funnily enough, last June doing a, a conference. Mm. And I told a story. In, in, in fact, this was an insurance conference. I've, I've not done insurance conferences for ages. They wanted me to do an insurance conference. And I dug up a story that I'd first told about 15 years ago. And I thought, do you think this is still relevant? Well, actually, the story was still relevant in the modern contents. And I thought, could anybody still remember it? I've been to Ireland before. But of course... It went down an absolute storm because probably none of them had ever heard it. But I did have that moment of thinking, am I a bit of a fraud for digging up the story from 15 years ago? Have I overcooked this? But 50% uh, <laughs> of your audience at any, at any conference is checking their email. Mm, absolutely right. You know, even if you're a brilliant speaker, they're still checking their bloody email. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, people are addicted these days. Yeah. It does drive me a little nuts though, because I interact with a lot of conference organizers and... Mm -hmm. Some of them are adamant that they want new talks all the time and it must yeah. be a new talk. Yeah. That's what they think is good for their audience. And then yeah. others won't let you speak unless they've seen you give the talk, you know, on a video or something and they can be assured of the quality. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ted, thing has to be off by heart nearly, I think, for Ted. Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of beginning speakers are a little bit intimidated because they think there's one true way, but there isn't. It does come down to the conferences. And I think perhaps the organizers are always looking for new material. Um, it's perhaps not the best strategy. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as a result of uh, doing the cat on the mat, I got quite a lot of inquiries that really boosted me up. That was your hit single. It almost was, yeah. And the absolute essential thing was to make sure it wasn't a one-hit wonder. But uh, another conference organizer, this was this was Upreneur, which is uh, a big conference down yeah. in London. The organizer of that, Chris Ducker, he actually saw me do the cat speech at, at one conference, and he, he was very kind to invite me to speak at Upreneur. But he kept telling me that I wasn't going to do the cat on the mat, even on the day. And he'd seen my slides, and there wasn't a cat to be seen in the slides, although I don't <laughs> do that many slides, I have to say. <laughs> Even though he'd seen that there was no cat, he still said to me, you're not doing the cat today, are you? But what he had done is he'd really prompted me to go away and find another story. And the story I told that day was um, a story about a guy I call John the Wine Man. Okay. And John the Wine Man does a similar thing to the cat. It's more a sort of how to do marketing in a less intrusive, less annoying way. And now people ask for John the Wine Man because, again, it's a really engaging and it's quite funny as well. And the thing is, is I've never been, I'm not a comedian, I've never been very good at telling jokes, but I think the, the way the story is constructed it's quite observational in its humor. And, and I've done that again so many times now that I think I've built upon it each time. So I think sometimes, yeah, carry on doing the same thing because as we said before, a lot of people won't have seen it. And I guess that what I've done, Richard, like a lot of speakers, you, you almost have this library of stuff. I call the wine man segment. I've got the cat on the mat segment. I've got other segments as well as one about Blackpool Pleasure Beach and the Grand National. And you can pull these together. Somebody says, I want a 10 minute talk and do one of them. If it's a 15, a 50 minute talk, then maybe two or three of them. Yeah. I think that's the important thing to remember. I mean, when you're just starting out, you don't realize that it takes time to build up this little portfolio. And then you have, you have all sorts of things that you can pull out of the bag. Hmm. Isn't it true that um, Boris Johnson, and we'll leave any uh, opinions we have of the man <laughs> to one side, <laughs> he's quite famous for having uh, this elaborate bag of tricks whenever he's asked to talk. I'm quite famous for telling the same jokes. I read that and the bumbling and the sort of fidgeting around with pieces of paper, which initially might come across as, you know, this, just, this guy's just not prepared, you know, actually is part of the act. And part I think, of the act. Yeah. yeah, people who've seen him do it a couple of times, oh, actually, he's fiddling with the same piece of paper at the same <laughs> point, you know. He makes a great show of, of, of writing down notes uh -huh. that make no sense. But um, I think perhaps um, for most of us, we, we, we might leave that until um, we've one or two decades of speaking <laughs> in the back. The interesting thing about your speaking on stage uh, that I really love is you're a very high energy speaker mm -hmm. in terms of mm -hmm. the physicality of your speaking. Mm -hmm. Is that something that comes naturally? Is that something that you've worked on? Looking back, it's, it's just the way I've always been. I don't think anybody told me to be like that. I'd line as a fitness instructor. I've been doing that for nearly 20 years now. Ah, okay. And I teach a, a class called Body Combat. And 
again, that's that's quite like a, a theatrical performance. You know, I I, I, try, I build in all sorts of stories, like from popular culture, like you're in a Bruce Lee movie or your Jason yeah. Statham or <laughs> something like that. And 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 I guess that's real high octane stuff. It has to be, yeah. Okay. So I think that's probably seeped into. So you're bringing a bit of Mr. Motivator yeah, to the to the pro- conference. Yeah, Mr. Motivator. I remember that. <laughs> I have done and, and still do quite a lot of video. When I was in co- big corporate, I used to do quite a lot of video. And somebody once said to me that cameras are like energy sucks. Okay. So if you're in front of a camera and you talk in your normal tone and your normal speed, the camera will like slow you down even more. So you'll come across really deadpan and really quite boring. So when you're on camera, they say, you know, go for 130%, wave your arms around, talk a little bit faster. And cameras effectively have that dampening effect on how you look and how you sound. You'll look good and you'll look normal. So I don't know, maybe there's some of that has seeped into the performance as well. Oh, that's that's an interesting effect. Care to speculate why it is? It could also perhaps be the fact that um, if you stood behind a video camera and, you, and especially if you do multiple takes, your first version might be right up at the top of the scale, but you do a second one and you start to get a little bit more tired and then another one and you get a bit more tired and maybe you start to get a bit cross if you keep fluffing your lines or whatever it might be. And then as the day goes on, you become more and more lethargic and that comes across on camera so the idea is you really need to be up there at the top all the way through okay so this is interesting because you know i look at these youtubers and there's a wide wide variety of styles and energy levels Mm. the really good ones seem to have tons of energy and when i speak i get energy from the audience yeah and i have had to do in a previous business you know you get interviewed on the for the tv and this type of stuff the camera is an energy sink because it's just this device in front of you and there's no feedback. There's nothing. It's a void. That's it, isn't it? There's no feedback from it. If you're in an auditorium or an event and you've got a hundred people, 10 people looking at you, you've got the eye contact, you know, you, you can see whether they're ouch back or whether they're leaning forward. You're getting those visual clues back from them. But when you're in front of a camera, all you've got is the lens. It's just you. You know, you might have a film camera behind you, but he's got his head looking through the viewfinder. So you don't even get the contact from the, the camera person. So I think that that must be it. It's the, it's the human contact you get in a live conference environment that you don't get when you've got a camera pointing at you. You do do vlogging as well, though, don't you? Yeah, I I tinker with stuff, Richard. Yeah. I started a podcast when I left big corporate. Um, I did a lot of speaking when I was in big corporate, and uh, most of that was for the companies that I worked for. And I just started tinkering with different methods of communication. Uh, I started a podcast after I left big corporate. And uh, I just started messing around because I wanted to learn how to edit and I wanted to learn how to film. And three or four years ago, when I first did the cat on the mat speech at CMA Live, um, I'd started vlogging. Um, I'd started messing around with a camera. I'd been watching the likes of Casey Neistat. And I, I effectively wanted to learn how to shoot video, how to edit it, and, and how to use YouTube. And I went along to the um, CMA Live conference, did a vlog around the conference, obviously did my speech, did the cat on the mat, and uploaded it to YouTube. And 
This attracted the attention of a conference organizer in Montenegro, of all places. Now, in reality, I didn't know where Montenegro was. And as a result of that, I was invited to speak at that conference. In fact, they asked for the cat mat speech as a result I'm not a videographer by any means. I'm a marketing consultant and a speaker, but doing the vlogs has opened up a few speaking opportunities for me. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting way to market yourself as a speaker. Mm -hmm. um, one of the challenges you always have, and I especially get this from readers to our newsletter, you know, people who are starting out, often the people that we have on the podcast are experienced speakers, so they've mm -hmm. already built a brand. But those just starting out, the big question is, how do I get speaking gigs? How do yeah. I get invitations? Well, I guess you've got to market yourself, haven't you? <laughs> Absolutely right. And the vlogging is um, certainly an interesting idea. Yeah. How difficult was it, all the technical side of that? It's a learning curve. I think the first, the first vlogs I did, I shot them on my iPhone and I used, a, I used an editing program, which was actually built into Windows, very basic editing process. But then you start to get a little bit more interested in it. So I bought something called Camtasia, which is a, a more advanced editing program. And, and now I've been doing vlog. I've been vlogging for about four years now. I, I'm using Adobe Premiere Pro. I think I eventually did an advert for my podcast, whereas I had me in a red T-shirt talking to me in a yellow T-shirt about what the podcast was about. And quite a few people <laughs> said, oh my God, that was incredible. How did you do that? Well, the reality was it was actually quite easy because Adobe Premiere Pro is incredible, but it's just a question of learning how to do it. Um, so I, I guess it's it just come from that tinkering about. Just jump in. I might be tempted myself. <laughs> and and you know, beyond the video, all that I do in terms of speaking is what you would expect. I've got a I've got a website with with a speaking profile page. I'll email conference organizers. And you know, sometimes that doesn't work because a lot of conference organizers like you to create a, a, a relationship with them first. You know, they maybe go to their conference first for a couple of years before they invite you to speak. Um, I found over the last few years, getting into corporates has been more financially rewarding. There's an awful lot of corporate work if, if you scratch the surface, isn't there? Mm, I think so. And, and, and a, a corporate client is likely to pay for a speech, whereas, as we know, conferences are run with very small margins and often can't do anything other than cover your expenses. So, to, Roger, did, did you quit your job to earn a living from speaking? It wasn't all about speaking, yeah. um, although that was always a big part of it. I, I, I got to the stage, Richard, where I've been working as a marketing director in big corporate for a long time. And a lot of those roles were in financial services. And so the, the background was traditional marketing, you know, adverts, billboard adverts, a few TV adverts. To consumers. To consumers and also... B2B companies as well. I did a lot of work in financial services, marketing to financial advisors. And this was in the early 2000s, 2006, 2007, when things like Twitter started up, Facebook started up, the iPhone came along, video became more accessible to everybody, audio became more accessible to everybody. I found myself getting really interested in this and in content marketing and wanting to use those mediums to promote the business. But all I ever got was objections. Oh, it's 
it's not pro- video's not professional enough unless you get the whole BBC camera crew in to film it for you. We're scared of social media because we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to do live video because what if we if if the person fluffs their lines and looks unprofessional? There was always an excuse why not to do these things. And it just seemed to be getting more and more bureaucratic. And I just got to the stage in my career where I was able to decide, do you know what? I want to go and work with smaller companies who genuinely are interested in using this technology to market their businesses in a simple way. And I guess it all just came together, left and became a marketing consultant focusing on how to keep marketing simple. But that led to the development of some of the talks that we've discussed. And now I guess I'm probably 40% of my business is speaking and 60% is, is marketing consultancy. You can kind of tie it together. The two aspects support each other, which is really great. Often the speaking leads to the consultancy opportunity. It's almost like the, if, you, if you're talking in a corporate environment, I guess the speech might be the audition for the bigger project. Yeah. If you want to speak about bureaucracy and corporate politics, um, you know, there's there's a bit of CYA going on there because <laughs> if you've come in and given a great talk, you're much easier to hire because you're clearly professional and you're well known and sort of thing. We only hired the best, et cetera, et cetera. Although having said that, some of them will hear what you've got to say and actually they don't want you to come in and make it simpler because actually that's it's <laughs> the way they are. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly found that myself in the, um, in the technical consulting that, that I used to do for, for large companies where you'd sell to the bosses, to the CEOs and people like that, the, the, the great vision of simplifying technology and streamlining everything. Mm-hmm. And then on the ground, you'd spend six months moving things forward by an inch. Yeah. But you know what? That's all that was realistic. <laughs> At least you moved it forward a little bit. Absolutely right. But you, you had to sort of accept, you know, you can, you can preach changing the world to the CEO, but the poor fools on the ground have a harder, have a harder time of it. Yeah. And, it, and it, it comes from the top, as we know. And if the people in the leadership team or whatever you want to call them, the executive, the C-suite, if they're not bought into making it simpler, if they're part of the problem, then it's not going to filter all the way down. And, and that's just the reality of it. It is. And I mean, I think you, you must be in the relatively nice position of be, being able to choose the most effective clients where you'll have the most impact at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, you learn, obviously, uh, in my early days as a consultant, I, I got involved in quite a few companies, which it just felt like I was going back to my old job, <laughs> um, yeah. except I, I had the I, probably easier ability to walk away. But yeah, you start to learn who your ideal clients are going to be. And a lot of the smaller companies are in the your cat sat on our mat stage. Yeah, you can help them at just the right moment. Exactly. Before it gets horribly wrong. Exactly. To finish this out, let's let's yeah. just kind of return to um, something from the start. Yeah. So you give these fitness classes, and you, that's that's a performance as well. Yeah. So have you always been a performer? I mean, were were you in musicals and all that sort of thing? Oh, I, um, I I remember the first time I ever did something. I I played 
a, a white dog in a in a in a school <laughs> play. Actually, I was about to say a white cat. Then my memory was cheating me. Any lines? It, Any lines? It was oh goodness me! I had to open this. This is another story. Actually, this is the first time I've thought of this in probably about twenty five years. But I was the, the the white dog was like the narrator of this play. I oh, called the Tinderbox okay. or something like yeah. that. So I had to wear this really ridiculous fluffy costume with fluffy ears and all of that sort of thing. And I had dog makeup on my face. And and I remember having a pair of um, white fluffy slippers that they'd actually bought in from some uh, shoe shop. And the whole, the start of the entire performance was just the curtain was still closed. And I had to stick my head through the curtain and welcome everybody into the uh, into the school play and and i think i remember one of my uh, lines was something like oh you look like a lovely audience oh i really like the look of you down there sir and you over there and oh i do like her and of course there was this great big um, uproar um, in the <laughs> audience when i said that but the funny thing is and i've only just remembered this I mean, I must have been, I don't know, 12 at the time that this happened. And, and the stage hand had to hold the curtain and pull it in towards the stage so I could put my head through. And what I'd done is I put my slipper onto one of the footlights at the front of the stage. And of course, the slipper was made out of rubber. Oh, no. So as I stood there delivering this welcome to the audience and talking about dogs and magic and stuff like that, my foot started to smoke oh, and, no. and, and, the, and the stagehand was trying to gently pull my foot off this. Uh, and there was oh, all God. this acrid smoke coming up. So they, I think the audience thought it was part of the act. They always <laughs> do, don't they? A special yeah. effect or something like that. <laughs> But it, at least it didn't set the fire alarms off. That's a wonderful story, and, and, <laughs> and a great example of that um, that thing that you must remember on stage, which is the audience thinks it's all part of the show. Whatever yeah. happens, yeah. they really do. Yeah, even if the projector bulb blows up or something like that, it's just so that you can get your point across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So long as nobody dies, <laughs> you can keep going. The show must go on. Roger, uh, thank you so much. This has been really, really cool. And uh, you have your own podcast as well. We'll put that in the show notes. So um, if uh, people want to hear more of you, they'll know where to find you. That's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, you can find me at um, rogeredwards.co.uk. But if you if you want to look me up on social media, Twitter's my favorite. It's uh, Roger underscore Edwards. Richard, thanks so much for having yeah. me on the show. Really enjoyed it. And I've not thought about that white dog story for <laughs> over 30 years. And well, now you... my challenge is to get it into a talk. <laughs> exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. Roger, thank you so much. Fantastic. Thanks, Richard. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, 
Just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward. Step forward.